but this morning um, we're going to pick up our study in Acts, and uh, the message is titled the same as it was two weeks ago before the blizzard, Known to God. This is Known to God Part 2. We didn't quite get through all of it, so today we're going to finish out um, what was originally intended, and there's some. Uh, we're going to take a little tangent into uh, Corinthians as well. Uh, but we talked about Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, and really the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Um, you know, that they were preaching the gospel, that they were strengthening souls. Uh, we saw that there ended up being an open door for the Gentiles, that God was now using these Jewish men, these devout Jewish men who came to faith to reach um, the Gentile population. Uh, we saw that there was discipling going on. But also we saw at the end of our study last time that there were disputes about the law and about legalism. And if these Gentiles needed to follow certain commandments of the Mosaic law uh, that had been kept. And we saw again that, you know, you get a couple of believers in a room, you get two in a room and you'll have 10 opinions. So we definitely saw that going on. But there was a, a sharp division among uh, these uh, uh, Jewish religious folks who were believers and Paul and uh, Barnabas and the crew because... Uh, they were really emphasizing that, man, it's about, about faith that these men are, and women are coming to God. It's the, that God is doing work among the Gentiles, and they no longer need to convert to Judaism first or, or practice uh, Judaism, which Jesus had fulfilled. Uh, just to remind you guys of that verse, Colossians two sixteen through 19. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things that come, but the substance is of Christ. That these things in the Old Testament um, are very important. They were pictures of Jesus. They were pictures of heaven. They were pictures of how the spiritual world works and redemption works. But like he says, even Paul, a very studied, uh, devout Jewish man who came to faith, that these things are a shadow. That yeah, they're good. Yeah, they have a purpose, but they're a shadow. You know, you don't hug your, your husband or your wife's shadow when they come home. You hug them. Uh, hopefully you hug them. If you don't, hug them. But let no one cheat you of your reward, he says, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding to those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished in it together, joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Again, that the head, Jesus, is the point. of These things that we take, like this communion, you know, we, my wife and I were talking about it. Sometimes we drink out a big cup. Sometimes we take a piece of bread, and it's not the same. And, you know, we have these little cups and these little crackers, and how... Um, in a sense, how religious this becomes when Jesus broke the bread and passed the cup, God bless you, it's now turned into these little cups and crackers and we get very religious about it and forget the meaning that if, if we forget the point of communion, if we forget the point of remembering Jesus as we eat these, you know, crackers that were bought at the store up the street, you know, that, man, that we've missed the point because Jesus wants us to remember him, not to, um, you know, remember the juice per se. But let's uh, read, uh, step back a few verses to verse 6 in chapter 15, and uh, we'll pray and we'll get into the, our study here. Uh, Father, again, we ask that you would uh, speak to us in your word, that God, you would uh, just feed us by it, and uh, God, show us new things and uh, teach us all, we pray, and uh, help us to be obedient uh, simply to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 15 uh, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, which is what we were talking about. And when uh, there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, 
acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Again, that the same faith, it's one faith that, that saves everybody. Uh, and again, this yoke that they couldn't bear, even the Jews couldn't keep the law. They, they couldn't keep the law, and God knew that. That's why there was a sacrificial system, because God knew that they were going to break the law. And even then, he knew that, well, they'll never be able to keep it, and the law condemns it. But Jesus Christ is the one uh, who fulfilled it. And I just wanted to read that just to kind of catch us up to where uh, we're going to start today um, in verse 13. It says, And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, how, that's Peter, how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with uh, this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, just, excuse me, as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Uh, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. I'll stop there for now. Man, I put a little lemon in my water and I think it's making me a little tongue tied here, but uh, verse thirteen says that after they had become silent, you know, that that's a miracle, that preachers have become silent. Um, you're probably undoubtedly waiting for me to become silent, because that means we can have cookies and continue our coffee and go on. But you, you listen to some of these pastors out there, and sometimes they just go on and on and on. And other guys, they go on and on and on, and then they have three closings. But you don't mind. Like, Ash and I were watching a John Corson message uh, Wednesday night, and on YouTube, someone had uploaded it, and it was like an hour long, and we thought it was over, but then there was into part two, and it went on for more. And, and uh, I, I love that, that style of John Corson, where he says, and in closing, and he's got another hour to go. But um, I think that's what happened here, that they shared the truth, and then they became silent. And I think that they became silent uh, because the truth had been put out there, that once they, their point was made, once the truth was out there, they became silent. But I think that the sad part is that today, that many preachers have become silent on the truth, that they don't share the truth, that the truth isn't completely out there, that they err from the truth, or that they refuse to even address topics of the truth. You know, we can probably think back to certain uh, men who are famous pastors and were on TV, but when asked pointed questions about the truth, they kind of wish-washy, flip-flopped, and didn't really give the full truth out there. But I think on the flip side of that, not to be uh, Debbie Downer, but that there's many out there in lands who, who face persecution that preach the truth no matter what, that will expound the truth. And I think that those men are the men that we should look up to. And those women that are faithful in the gospel are the people that we need to look up to and follow when they're bold um, in their faith. Because in these last days, it's very important. There's, it's, it's clear in the election. There's obviously two different worldviews going on right now. Uh, one is at least acknowledgement of God, and the other one wants to go the other way. And that's really a divided nation. Um, 
but even more so in our faith, um, you know, we can't be silent. We can't be silent. We need to, to get it out there. But I think, again, like I said, why are they silent? Because the truth had been laid out. You know, there's nothing left to say. They made their point. They expounded the scripture. God had obviously been working through them and been doing miracles among the Gentile populations. So there's nothing left to say. They didn't need to, to beat a dead horse, so to speak. The truth speaks for itself. You know, when we see something that's evident, you know, they let these truths that are self-evident, they're self-evident. It makes sense when, uh, when the truth is said. Um, you know, sometimes when someone sort of tells you a half-truth or a lie, you go, ah, you know, maybe it makes sense for a minute, but as you begin to think about it, um, it doesn't. You know, the Bible says there were many words there are, sin is not lacking. But James here speaks up. Um, and this is uh, James, known as James the Just. He's the half-brother of Jesus. We know that Jesus had many half-brothers and, and possibly sisters as well. Um, but they're half-brothers because Jesus' father wasn't Joseph. It was God. But uh, James, you know, James didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. You know, remember his brothers were kind of mocked. him, like, hey, why don't you go show yourself? Go down to the feast, you know. Be the, the great guy that you are, Jesus. And he said, hey, it's, you know, it's not my time yet. But if anyone really knows about being this close to Jesus and not believing, even though he's family, it's James. I mean, think about all the, the, the religious folks of their day who were that close to Jesus, even arguing with him and didn't come to faith, or even being around him and didn't come to faith, like Judas. Um, but, but James knew about this. And James knew about this. And James says that, you know, out of them, a people for his name. You know, it quotes the scripture that out of the Gentiles, God's going to make a people for his name. And who are those people? That's us. That's Christians. That God not only took out of the world population, the Jewish people, to be a holy example of who he was, but then when Jesus came, he would take people out of the entire population to be a picture of who he was. That spiritually, in a sense, we are like the Jews who are brought out of Egypt. That just as they were brought out and made into a nation, so were the Christians brought out of the world system. And uh, we'll see that we're sojourning to our city in heaven. But he says that, you know, the temple was not yet destroyed, but it would be soon in AD 70, that God let the temple, this thing, the center of worship for thousands of years among the Jewish people, be destroyed. Be destroyed. That there is no longer a central place for people to come and worship God and offer sacrifices in the physical realm. You know, I think of uh, modern day Jews who don't have a temple and yet they desire to worship. So they've kind of modified things. And even there's this push to rebuild another temple so that there's a central place to worship. But what did Jesus say? That there's a day coming even when we won't have to go down there. And we can worship in spirit and truth. And I think that that's why another reason why God let that temple be destroyed is because he said, hey, it's not about coming to this central physical location anymore. Is that the place where you can worship me is a spiritual location. It's within you. It's in your heart. And the point of this was that so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. You know, imagine if you can never afford to go to the temple. Imagine if you can never afford to go to Israel. I, I can imagine that right now. But I'm sure that, you know, one day we'll all go there. But, but God doesn't want there to be any barriers. He tore down the veil. And he doesn't want us to have to go somewhere physically to have to worship him. Yeah, we should go to church and we should find a church close to where we live and a, a church where we feel like we're being fed by the Lord. I'm not saying you, you don't have to go to church, you know. Um, but sincerely... Um, God doesn't want there to be any barrier, any physical barrier between us and him. But he says here that uh, known to God from eternity are all his works. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. That's pretty deep. That God from eternity past, eternity future, 
knows all of his works. There's not one thing that God is going to do that he hasn't already thought of. And there's not one thing that God has done that he's ever going to forget. Or there's not one thing that, you know, any which way you can kind of combine the, the reality of this. Um, God's not going to forget it. He knows from eternity. He's from outside time. He's totally aware. You know, we were watching something the other day, and I th- oh, it was like a slow-mo video, and the guys had this like drill, and they put paint on the drill, and they got these really high-speed cameras to film it, and the way it's spinning, and all the paint's coming out. And it's really kind of, it's messy, but it's beautiful in slow motion. You don't realize all this beautiful physics that are going on, and you think, man, God knows about all that. God knows where every little molecule is going. God has designed it to work that way, and I think in a sense that God, just like us, might sit back on the couch and boop, pause the movie. God, in the same sense, can know exactly what's going on at any moment, at any molecule, at any atom, and more than that, what's going on in our hearts and minds because he loves us. And that's deep to think that God is really in control. God really knows everything that's going on in your life and in my life. He knows every hair that's on our head, so to speak. Um, He knows these things, um, and he more than just knows them. He cares about them. He cares what we go through. You know, Revelation 1.8 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is Almighty. And part of that being all-powerful and Almighty is that He controls everything. He allows everything to happen. There's not one thing that happens that God hasn't said, for some reason in His sovereignty, I've allowed this to happen. There's not one thing that goes on that God goes, oh man, I didn't mean for that to happen. Of course He doesn't want sin to happen. Of course He doesn't go out and and make Satan do the things He does if we're to, to take that route. But He allows them for a reason and for a season. And know that at the end, that justice is coming. But verse 19 says that, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those. You know, if God is doing this work among the Gentiles, James is saying, if God is doing these miracles, if salvation is coming to these people by the same Holy Spirit that's within us, God's Holy Spirit, God himself, well, I'm not going to trouble them with anything else. Who am I to step on something that God is already doing? If God's doing a work, why am I going to come in and trample it and put handcuffs on it, so to speak? Uh, James says, because God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing, guys. You know, you ever call a plumber to fix something in your house? You know, maybe you, maybe the first time he comes, you don't trust him and you're kind of keeping an eye over him. But maybe he's a good friend. And, you know, I know a couple guys who are tradesmen back in New York or a mechanic. And, and I trust them because I know them. And if they tell me I need something fixed or they tell me that this is broken or I need to buy this, I don't say, are you sure? Can I get a better deal? Did you use the right fitting there? What wrench did you use? You know, uh, what school did you go to? I don't do any of that because I trust them because I know them. But when you don't know them, you know, sometimes you have to go find a new mechanic. Like we had to find a new mechanic when you came down here and they read you the whole riot act. You need a new canooter valve and, and all these things. It's going to be this many dollars, this many days. You're like, I just needed air in my tires. How did all this happen? You know, you don't trust them. So you kind of put them up to that. But that's the same way with God. If we know God, and we trust God, and we see Him doing something, even if we don't understand it, like as I believe as Pastor John Corson said this week, it's past your understanding, peace that passes your understanding. Man, He's doing something. Who are we to kind of want to mess that up and, and stop that from going on? You know, if God's doing this work among the Gentiles, why are we going to put a limit on that? And how often do we do that? How often does God begin to do something in our lives and we put a limit on it because we either don't trust God we're struggling with some sin. Oh, God, why would God bless me with this when I'm sinning? Or, you know, well, maybe he's being gracious to you that you might stop sinning. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, whether it's because of our prejudices, our legalism, our preconceived notions of things, which is a prejudice. But really, 
why do we do this? Why do we do this? You know, but we see here that they are turning to God. They are turning to God. And why should they turn to the knife as well? If they've turned to God and their hearts and their spirits and they've come to faith in God and the Holy Spirit's dwelling in them already, why do they need to then go back and, and cut themselves and, and remove a piece of flesh or, or follow a Mosaic law? God's already in them. You know, these old Mosaic laws were you need to do these things in order that you might have fellowship with God. But if God's already had fellowship with them, why would they need to go back and do any of these things? It's like, if my wife's already married me, you know, why do I need to go and, and ask her parents' permission if I can take her out on a date? It makes no sense because we're already married. Um, we've already had that relationship. Uh, there's no need for me to, to go back. You know, of course, I'm gonna, I love taking her out on dates. That's something we did before we get married. I'm not saying I'm not going to do that. We're already married, babe. I don't have to take her on a date. But really, I, you know, it's to get to know her better. I'm already married to her. I get to know her better that way. But he says that why should they turn again? You know, they're turning to God. And I say, why do they need to turn to the knife as well? They don't. Because again, it's about faith in Jesus alone. It's about trust in him alone. That he's sufficient. He's sufficient. Not only did God bypass all this other stuff because Jesus already fulfilled it, but it's enough. We don't need to go back and add anything else to it. You know, if we begin to add anything to Jesus, well, it's... It's not Jesus anymore. You know, you begin to add a little, some ingredients to your cake. It's still a cake until eventually you replace all the ingredients. But with the Lord, man, it's either faith in him alone or it's really not. It's really not. You can't, you know, believe in Jesus and believe in Muhammad and believe in Buddha and have saving faith because they're all a contradiction to each other. Despite what that bumper sticker might say, they don't work together. They don't work together. But he says here that there are certain commands that they should follow. There are certain commands. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they know God and they're going to heaven, but we're still going to tell them to follow these certain commands here. Uh, and why? Because they need to be protected spiritually. These aren't things that necessarily that uh, they may or may not affect their salvation, so to speak, but it's about protection after the fact. That just like when uh, our babies are born, they come out of the protection of their mother. We're going to wrap them in clothes. We're going to make sure that, you know, when Jacob's standing on one foot on the edge of the bed, then I'm going to take him down. You know, he was standing in a little rocker. I had to take him out of it before because he, I need to protect him. He can't just do whatever he wants and, and you know, because he doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. But he says here that they need to abstain from things polluted by idols. You know, food. You know, I'd say today things that have a base of idolatry. Uh, there's many things in this world that have a base of idolatry. Uh, you know, I, I might step on some toes today, and that's between you and the Lord, but things like yoga. If you talk to anyone who's come out of uh, the India or those regions who are saved, they will have nothing to do with it because they know the roots and idolatry of it. And here, you know, maybe there's like a, a yoga thing on every corner. I'm not here to condemn you if you do yoga or whatever. But really, why do, why do you have to do something that has these roots to this spiritual enlightenment and spiritual awakening and, and getting all your chakra or whatever it is in mind? Because it really has nothing to do with Christianity. It has nothing to do with God. It has, it has roots. And I'm not saying if you do it, you're going to hell. I'm not saying if you do it necessarily, maybe you're even sinning. But I'm saying, well, why do you want anything to do with that? Can't you just do regular stretching? You know, that in our, uh, I'm not going to get off on that trip. And if you do it and you want to keep doing it, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm saying, I think there's a lot of things in this world that have connections to idolatry that potentially could stumble us or stumble someone else. And really, why do we have anything to do with it when we know the true and living God? 
But it says here, sexual immorality. And, and really, I think that should be a no-brainer um, if we're going to take this in the broad sense of, of what he's saying. Uh, you know, but that's a huge problem even today. Even today in the church, there's questions about, well, when is it really sex? When does it really become something else? And well, if you have to ask the question, it, it, it probably is already. Uh, but we look at, if we read Corinthians, we see, as we will read a little bit of Corinthians later, that this was a big problem in the Corinthian church. But he also says, from things strangled, from blood, you know, it's still a good idea. These are dietary laws, but the life was in the blood. Uh, we saw that uh, post-flood Noah, it was time to eat animals and everything. Uh, but really, you know, you want to get the blood out. You want to clean the animal. And this was sort of also a deal, um, again, because these are dealing with Jewish people. You don't want to stumble them as well. And I'm going to read a little bit of a commentary on this, which uh, has some good insight from David Guzik. And it says that James's decision that the Gentile believers should not be under the Mosaic law is also tempered by practical instruction. The idea was that it was important that the Gentile believers not act in a way that would antagonize the Jewish community in every city and destroy the church's witness among the Jews. That's interesting. Uh, it says that the decision is that one does not have to be Jewish to be a Christian. It must also be declared that one does not need to forsake the law of Moses uh, to be a Christian, saying that, yeah, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian, but you also don't necessarily have to, to not follow certain commands among the Jewish population as a Christian. You know, we shouldn't think that it means that common sex outside of marriage, which all Christians uh, recognize or Jews or Gentiles would hopefully recognize as wrong. Instead, James is directing these Gentiles living in such close fellowship with the Jewish believers to observe the specific marriage regulations required by Leviticus 18, which prohibited marriages between most family relations. This was something that the Jews would abhor, but most Gentiles would think a little of. I mean, think of today, where the Gentile populations think you can marry anyone you want. You think that you can become a man, you can become a woman, you can be a cat if you think you're a cat. You know, there are all these weird things that are going on and think they're okay, but we realize that they're not. Uh, you know, Gentile Christians had the right, quote-unquote, to eat meat sacrificed to idols, continue in their marriage practices, and to eat food without a kosher blessing. Because these were aspects of the Mosaic Law, they were definitely not under. However, they were encouraged uh, to lay down their rights in these matters as a display of love to the Jewish brethren. That, man, let's not make the Jews stumble. Let's not make them stumble. There's no need to. The, with the, the following the Mosaic Law isn't bad. It's not going to hurt you. But you don't get your life from it. Um, and the point is to keep a good relationship with them. You know, we got two very distinct, very different population groups coming together here. The, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Very different traditions and things, but a very common faith. And we, we, we want to keep the unity, um, as you see here. Um, but this isn't unity at the expense of truth, as we might see today. But I think it's also unto all believers. You know, why cause a division or cause someone to stumble? You know, as we're going to read... Uh, Right now, actually, in 1 Corinthians 8. Let's take a look at that. Uh, turn to me, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read the whole chapter because it's 13 verses. And I'll comment on it as we get through here. But, you know, this whole problem of, man, we've come to faith now. We've got these liberties. We really don't want to make anyone stumble. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you read 1 Corinthians, it's really uh, interesting the way this is laid out here but he says now concerning things offered to idols we know that we all have knowledge knowledge puffs up but love edifies and if anyone thinks that he knows anything he knows nothing yet as he ought to know but if anyone loves god this one is known by him therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one for even if there are so-called gods whether in heaven or on earth um, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, 
of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is uh, not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. Um, and let's stop there for right now. It's, you know, eating, it's a way that we get together. It's the way that we share our hearts with one another. It's the way that we feel like friends, you know, just like I talked about dating my wife. Or when you like to hang out with friends or we like to go out and do something together. A lot of time it's over a meal. Let's go to Panera Bread. Let's go out to dinner. Let's go out to breakfast. Let's, you know, we just love to eat. Um, but I think that when you begin to share meals with people, you feel more like you're friends with them. And if you don't feel like you're friends with them, you probably don't want to share a meal with them. You know, it's like at work. Uh, you get together and you want to go out and eat together with the people that you're friends with. It's always kind of uncomfortable the first couple of times you, you eat with someone um, who you don't know yet. Because when you eat, you tend to get a little sloppy. You know, you tend to have your own ways of doing things. You put ketchup on that. You put, you put that in your, in your drink. You know, whatever it is, there's this uh, method. You know, do they put the napkin on the lap? Do you put the napkin in your, in your shirt? What do you do? What do they do? There's all these things. And then as you begin to hang out, you get comfortable and it doesn't matter anymore to the point where... You know, uh, you know how it goes. But I think that even businesses try and capitalize on that, uh, you know, sales meetings and other things. But we see that there were all these offerings, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There were drink offerings, meal offerings, Cain and Abel, two different offerings. Uh, Noah, um, there was a sacrifice given. The priests were to eat the leftovers of these offerings. You know, the list goes on and on. You know, things that God said not to sacrifice so the priests could have food. You know, it's interesting that as the sacrificial system went on, God was also preparing for the priests uh, to eat. You know, there was even a meal where you brought food before God and you offered half and ate the other half. And I always think of those old things like one for me and one for my homie and they pour out half of the drink on the pavement for their dead homie. I, I, I think that that's interesting because that's what God wants to do with us. You know, God wasn't physically there with them, but he was there in spirit. And so they would have a meal and half of the meal would be there for God. It'd be an offering to God and a meal as well. And isn't that what we do as well with communion? That we do this in remembrance of God. We fulfill the, he's the fulfillment of Passover. So we do a Passover style meal with the Lord where we communion with him. We eat with him. Where in fact, where he even is our, uh, our meal in itself. Um, you know, we love meals in our society thanksgiving christmas the super bowl you know next week you know the supermarket was was packed yesterday ashley ended up going twice uh she went in the day when i was out uh doing some things and uh then she said both stores are full i can't even get a spot so she ended up going later in the night um and i think part of it's from the blizzard but i think the other part is that the super bowl is coming next week so people are going to buy everything up um but we love it we love it but to touch on this thing of idols, um, you know, a believer who has a sensitive caution, a conscience does not have the full knowledge that idols are nothing in a sense that, yeah, you know, you have a, a statue of Buddha over there. It's not really Buddha. It's just a piece of wood or plastic or gold or whatever. There's really nothing behind it. Although there's this spiritual worship that goes on, it's really just a, a block of wood. If they have a weak conscience in a sense, they might feel guilty, overwhelmed or confused or tripped up by eating a piece of meat that was offered to that idol uh, as they were partaking an offering. You know, back in the day, you wanted to go get some some discount meat. They didn't have Costco. They didn't have the discount section at you know Walmart. Uh, you went and you found meat that was in the market that had already been offered to an idol. Then they offered it at a discount, so you could get a good deal on a good piece of meat because it had already been offered up. 
And there's this issue with the believers where, well, if you went and, and ate that and someone with a weak conscience saw you eating it, they might go, oh, you're eating something that's offered to an idol. But you go, it was just on sale. It was just on sale. And what he's saying here is that we need to be sensitive to conscience, especially to our own. And I think, man, we really need to listen to our conscience. You know, a lot of people today will say, well, don't shop at Walmart. Don't go to McDonald's because it's very similar. These things, in a sense, are offered to idols or these things that are against the cultural things, the things that culture worships about being super healthy and non-GMO and all these things that maybe not even aren't even bad, but they get worshipped uh, in society. So if you go there, you kind of look down upon but we need to be sensitive to that conscience, like I said, you know, that especially our own, that if our conscience pricks up and says, hey, don't do that. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. We need to listen to it. We need to listen to it. Yeah, we need to take it to the Lord and make sure it's not some guilt trip from something we were raised on, or perhaps, but we need to always take it to the Lord because God has given us a conscience. He's given it to us uh, for a reason. Um, and we have, we really do have a freedom in Jesus, you know. If you want to go out and, and, and do certain things, we have a freedom in him to do it because we're no longer bound to them. You know, if you want to go out and have a drink, go out and have a drink. But be very careful because the Bible says that, you know, not to get drunk. But you're free from it. I personally don't drink. I was a slave to it. I don't drink anymore. I feel like the Lord has not given me that freedom to drink. Even though technically, yeah, I probably could go have one. I'm not going to do it because I, I feel like I don't have that freedom anymore. And I'm happy not to have that freedom anymore. I feel, in fact, in a sense, I wasn't free. I was bound to it. And now I'm absolutely free. And I don't want to go back into bondage to that. Uh, but, you know, we have that freedom to withhold ourselves from a lot of things that we didn't have before. People didn't have the freedom not to do these things. And if you drink, if you go out and you have a beer, you have a wine, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But uh, for me, I, um, in some sense, I think it, it would be. But he says here that food does not commend us to God. Food does not commend you to God. What you eat, what you don't eat, does not commend you to God. The Mosaic Law was a lot for, yeah, back in the day, it did have a, a value in that sense. Um, but it was also, you know, hey, you live in the desert, don't eat shellfish, you know, don't eat pork. These things today that we know are, are a part of hygiene and cleanliness, that we need to cook meats thoroughly and be careful what we eat. But it doesn't, it doesn't commend us to God. You know, if today you go out and eat shellfish, God's not upset with you. If you eat bacon, God's not upset with you. If you don't eat bacon, God doesn't applaud. He says, I made it. <laughs> you know, there's a difference. Rise, Peter, and kill and eat, right? Like we looked at a few weeks ago. But if we look at this modern push at veganism or vegetarianism, not that there's anything wrong if you're a vegan or vegetarian. That's fine. That's good for you. I, I wish I, I should probably be a, a vegetarian for a little while. I'd lose a little weight. It would probably be good for me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But we see this modern push that it has this spiritual side to it, that, oh, you're more spiritual, you're more enlightened, you're a better person because you don't eat meat. I saw this picture online the other day of these ladies in like a Whole Foods or something. Uh, I forget what the sign said, but basically they were protesting milk because it, I'm sorry, it's, it's milk from a cow. No cow was injured in the making of this milk. That cow had a better life now than he would have on his own. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But people, their consciences are so warped that I guarantee you those, those same people, I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm being prejudiced, are probably pro-choice, pro-abortion, and yet we can't have a cup of milk because there's this spiritual side to it. Um, you know, and I, I bet you they probably do yoga as well, to, to put that one on there. Um, but again, that's between you and the Lord. I just think it's funny that there's these ties between all these things. And even in the sense in the Old, Old Testament, we see a lot of these weird spiritual ideas come in when there's not a meat sacrifice going on, when there's not a, a right sacrifice. Uh, weird things do come in. You know, like I said, in Acts, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. 
Not so, Lord, but God's telling him it's okay for the Gentiles to come in now. And even Jesus himself said in Mark 7, do we forget this, in 15 through 23, he says, There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, listen up, guys. And this is during all the law. He said, when he entered his house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? And that's spiritually, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all those foods, uh, you know, all the impurities of the food we pass. Uh, but from within and from out of the heart of men perceive what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Jesus is saying, it's not the cheeseburger that made you evil. It's not eating the cow or drinking that cup of milk that made you evil. It's what's in your heart. Because what's in your heart is sin. And your heart is wicked above all things. And, and what comes out of our mouth? What comes out of that open grave? What's in our heart? You know, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. You begin to hate someone in your heart. You begin to be angry in your heart. Eventually, bleh, it's going to come out. You know, that guy cuts you off once. Mm, the guy cuts you off twice. Hey, you know, it starts to come, build up and come out until you're, your top's blown off. And maybe that's just me. But that's what Jesus says. You know, you can eat a cheeseburger. You cannot eat a cheeseburger. You're still wicked. Or if you know me, you can eat a cheeseburger and not eat it, and you're, you're holy because I'm in you, not because the food is in you or not in you. But back to touch on Acts for a minute. We, you know, we talk about the cutting of the way of the flesh. What does that have anything to do with our hearts? Why do they need to go back and be circumcised? Why do they need to go back and follow the law if God's already dealt with their hearts? You know, Romans 2.25-29 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if what? You keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Basically, you know, you screw up and you break one law, forget about it because your circumcision doesn't mean anymore because you've broken them. mean anything anymore. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Saying, hey, he hasn't done this one thing, but spiritually he's kept everything else. Doesn't that mean he's, he's more circumcised than you are? And will not the physically uncircumcised, the Gentiles, if he fulfills the law, Judge you who are even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. This man who hasn't followed the law but righteously keeps it like the good Samaritan will judge you on the day of judgment because you guys have all the law. You pretend to follow the law on the outside, but on the inside, you're wicked. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Again, it's a shadow of things to come. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You know, he's saying here that, man, when we're truly circumcised, it's not men who praise us, it's God who praises us. You know, when, you, when your coworkers go out and go on a bender, and you don't go with them, they don't praise you for it. They probably make fun of you for it. Why don't you drink? Why don't you do that? Maybe they don't. I don't know. But they, maybe they begin to think differently of you. But, man, when, when we do that for the Lord and we don't do it in a judging way and we just we want to be separate and be unto the Lord, God praised you for it. But look at people today who pretend to be religious, like the Pope, who's got all these other things going on with climate change and all this other stuff. Where is that like, I'm not going to get into the whole climate change argument, but is really that the most pressing need for the Pope is climate change? 
Shouldn't he be cared about the people's spiritual well-being? Is the climate really affecting someone's spiritual well-being? Well, again, we see here that it's really highlighting this issue in the world, that all these world issues are related to the world's spiritual idea of what's right and wrong, that we must worship certain things and obey certain things. Uh, but man, it's not important. It doesn't matter if you wear a hat. It doesn't matter if you go to church on Sunday. The other people might command you, oh, you've got perfect attendance at church this year. But man, on the inside, have we really, have we really attended church on the inside? You know, when we know God through Christ, we are free from having to obey the Mosaic laws. You know, the Old Testament is full of them, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. You know, and it was a great thing. They didn't have refrigeration, like we talked about, for hygiene and stuff. Um, but again, it was also a picture of spiritual separation, that all these things were to make them separate and different from the people that were around them that didn't follow these laws. You know, again, I say, go ahead, eat bacon, unless it causes your brother to stumble. Unless it causes your brother to stumble. And we'll go on in, in 1 Corinthians 8 here, verse 9. But we wear, lest this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat these things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You who have knowledge, those who are known for being believers or leaders, etc., that we, there's a standard of living or holiness for us. You know, that there's a priority of liberty, that we need to be free to bring others to be free in Christ. If we're bound by some sin, if we're bound by alcoholism, we're not going to be able to free another alcoholic. You know, it's going to go, you're the same, doing the same thing I'm doing. And it's not an excuse um, or an exercise of spiritual freedoms as a sense of entitlement either. You know, this whole entitlement mentality. Well, I'm a believer, so I can do whatever I want. There's no consequence. I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. That's not the case. That's not the case, you know. Would you trip a friend? You know, you have a good friend. Would you trip them? Maybe, you know, guys tend to do that sort of thing. They mess around with each other. But would you trip a baby? Jacob's walking, and he's walking pretty good, but would you trip him? You better not. If you trip him, there's, we're just going to have problems. <laughs> but I know none of you would. You'd pick him up, and you know if he fell, you'd want to pick him up and comfort him. I know you guys, and I love that. Uh, but man, we do that with other believers all the time. We do that with unbelievers all the time. And how do we do it, you say? Well, I'm going to trip on this whole yoga argument for a minute. And again, yoga, literally, physically, it's just stretching, right? I understand that. But it does have spiritual ties that maybe you go to yoga class and you're not worshiping Vishnu. You're not worshiping the Hindu gods when you go there. But someone else who goes there who maybe does get into class and maybe they're not a believer and they do see the spiritual side of it and they do understand the spiritual significance of it. And maybe they've even dabbled it a little bit. So you, oh believer, stretching and pointing yourself to the sun and getting all your chakras and all that garbage in line. Are they now going to think, oh, they're a believer. There's no difference between them and me. Maybe we can all coexist, and maybe they will not have an opportunity to meet the Lord. I don't know. That's, again, between you and the Lord. I'm not going to lay a trip on you. I'm not going to search your closet for yoga pants and rip them up, you know, whatever the case may be. My wife has pairs. She just doesn't wear them out because, you know, she has this modesty thing. But it's like, man, there's this, again, it's this whole thing. I'm not going to, I'm not here to do that. But that's the Holy Spirit. So, hey, baby. That again, there's things. You go out, maybe it is okay for you to have a beer. Maybe it is okay for you to have a wine, but you go out to the bar and there's a guy who's struggling with alcoholism or maybe there's a believer who just got saved out of alcoholism and they see you drinking that beer. 
man, what's that going to do to them? Your liberty now has become an occasion for their vice. Your liberty has now tripped them up spiritually. And again, I'm not trying to lay a drip on you. I'm trying to open up reality to all of us that, man, there is a higher calling for all of us to be separate and to be holy and to even forego things that we know necessarily may not even be wrong that we might not trip up someone else um, in that case. And maybe I'm not saying, hey, you can't go have a beer in your fridge. You can't have a beer in the privacy of your own home. But man, it's not going to trip someone else up. You know, I had a pastor friend who uh, was having like uh, uh, kidney stones or whatever. And one of the remedies was like have beer, I guess. It helped him. It, that's what it was like one of the things they told him to do. So he had a six pack and it was like leftover in his fridge. And I was house sitting for a while and he like called me up. He's like, it was, that's leftover, you know, that's from whatever. I was like, I know, even if it's not, I don't care, whatever the point being. But, uh, you know, it wasn't one to go out and do these things because we need to not lay burdens on other people. Again, take it before the Lord. All these things that we were talking about, take them before the Lord and see what the Lord might reveal to you. Um, because maybe there is nothing wrong with it physically. Maybe there is nothing wrong with it for you spiritually. You know that it's just whatever it is. But really, we need to be careful about our brothers and sisters and not trip them up. You know, Mia loves to play with Jacob, but she doesn't quite understand yet that she could hurt him easily because he's still kind of little. We say, Mia, watch out one day because he's going to get you back. <laughs> but like we, the same way, you know, we need to be careful that we're not hurting others. And I hope that I'm not hurting you today. I hope this isn't laying a burden on you because that's not the point. I'm hoping that and I pray that this would uh, really begin to, to enlighten us in a sense that we might live uh, more holy. But really, have you guys ever gone to uh, the subway? And the metro down here, do they have a thing that says mind the gap? I don't know if it's just wherever I heard it or wherever I've seen it, but there's signs that say mind the gap between the cars and between the rail. And that's the same thing. We need to mind the conscience. We need to mind the conscience. That when our conscience begins to prick up, when someone else's conscience begins to spark up, we need to mind it. You know, I remember when I first got saved and went over to some believer's house, they were all watching Lord of the Rings, and my conscience was like lit up like no tomorrow. And you guys are going, what? Because to me, I'm seeing that just as a fresh believer coming out of the world going, how are you guys watching this? Isn't this demonic? Isn't this evil? And you go, well, isn't it written by a Catholic guy or whatever? But I'm watching it and they like really brushed it off and it hasn't like scarred me for anything. You know, I'm trying to get my wife to watch them now. She's like, I think I'll be bored. <laughs> and she might be and I might be again. But the point is my conscience was on fire and we were all kind of young believers. So I don't think they knew how to deal with it. But I think nowadays there might have been an opportunity there. They kind of brushed it off. Um, and I get it. I was pretty crazy. I'm always pretty crazy. Um, but as we get into our first closing here, <laughs> but really that we need to be careful of these things that Colossians, if we back up like that verse about judging food or drink, it starts out and you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having you wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink. And he goes on that because we were lost in all these things, because the law was against us, God wiped out that all that handwriting law, that ticket that the law wrote to you. God has now ripped it up and dealt with it. So don't let anyone try and, you know, blame you for something that God has already taken care of. And again, Acts 15, don't let the Judaizers put a yoke on you. Again, we could touch on things like tattoos. That's a big one in Christianity. I don't have any tattoos. My wife has tattoos from before she was saved. I wanted tattoos before I got saved. I'm thankful I didn't get them because I look back and they all would have been super dumb. <laughs> I'd still have them. Um, but even then, I've, I've thought about it a couple times, and God's just like, no. Again, it's not, 
a freedom I have to do that. And I feel more free the fact that I don't have to do it. I feel, I think I would get all claustrophobic. And I'm very picky, so I, you know, I'd probably pick it apart. Uh, you know, this line isn't right, this color isn't right, and I might not like it in a couple of years. Or clothing, or music, or movies. You know, there's certain aspects of things that shouldn't be avoided. Am I going to say that a Christian shouldn't get a tattoo? I would say you probably shouldn't. And if you're not 18 yet, whatever your parents say, you do. But outside of that, should a Christian get a tattoo that's a big flaming demon on his back? Probably not. Christian wants to get a verse on him, whatever. Um, that's between them and the Lord. Now, am I going to do it? Am I going to encourage my kids to do it? No, but just because someone else does it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, don't mark yourself. It also says, you know, don't shave the size of your head. I see you guys shaved. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not righteous because I have a beard. I, I do it for other reasons. But there be, you know, certain aspects that shouldn't be avoided. Can you watch an R-rated movie? Sure. But should you watch certain R-rated movies? Probably not. Should you even watch any? Should you? I mean, I remember I had a rule where I wouldn't watch any R-rated movie. And then Blockbuster ran out of PG-13 movies. <laughs> I'd seen them all. <laughs> like 10 times. You know, I used to watch Spider-Man 1 every day when I was single because there's nothing else to watch. You know, now I'll watch certain other movies. And maybe that makes someone stumble. Maybe that's something I shouldn't do anymore. But I don't, my collection is now here. You don't know what I have. But the point is, is that there's certain movies I will watch and there's certain movies I won't watch. And even Mia this morning came in as we, uh, I know we're running uh, close to the end here. Um, she came in to the bedroom this morning as I was reading. And it was so sweet. She ended up staying with me and wanted me to read with her. But uh, her mom wouldn't let her watch, actually wouldn't let her watch something on Netflix. And it was just some kid show. And, you know, we have a thing. We need to make sure we watch them and we know what they are and, you know, we'll flip through YouTube and me will want to watch every single video, but we have to say no because even though maybe the thumbnail looks nice, we know what it's really about and we can't let her watch it. Even these uh, movies, these trailers for kids that come out, the rap songs that they put in them are like, I'm like, even from like the 90s, I'm like, ah, I'm not letting my kid watch that because I don't want her singing that, that song about her, you know, whatever. But she comes in and she was upset because she couldn't watch the show about bees. And I was like, well, honey, um, you know, mommy's not letting you watch it because there's probably something in it that's not good for you to watch mommy's watching out for you she's trying to protect you and i told her i was like honey there's even things that i don't watch that i'm not allowed to watch that god won't let me watch and i you know even if i want to watch them i don't watch them because it's not good for me or it's it's not good to do and i think she kind of got it which was was you know uh, a miracle for me to be able to get through um, or make sense but you know that we need to be sensitive to that conscience you know, that we need to be sensitive to that, that there are other people who have a sensitive conscience. We need to be aware of that. And again, yeah, does that sound like a law? Does that sound like a trip to put on each of us? Now we need to walk around. Well, do we love God? Do we love others? Just like I don't want to make my kids stumble. There's things I will, will do and will not do. There's things I will watch on TV when they're asleep that I won't watch on TV when they're around here. And sometimes that's a battle and go, well, should I even really watch this? You know, there's, there's always a, a battle. And I think that that's an important struggle to have. And to go through, you know, and there's other things that other people have issue with that I don't have issue with. And there's other things that people don't have issue with that I do have issue with. And these are the things that, again, where, well, does it affect your salvation? Does it cause someone to stumble? Well, you know, we really need to work through them. You know, we can't be very black and white. You know, I remember having a Christian rock tape as a kid that my brother loaned me. And uh, God bless my dad. He broke it because he didn't understand it. And we were in a very legalistic church as a, a kid from what I remember hearing because you understand that these guys playing heavy metal with crazy hair and crazy outfits who were tossing out Bibles at their shows, who were opening up for rock bands and singing the gospel to people and people getting saved. 
but they look, they, in a sense, they look like the world. They had the haircuts, they had the outfits, they had the, the, the metal, they had the music, they went on tour. But people were getting saved. And it was the songs that stuck with me that even when I'm not saved, I remember them that God used. Um, you know, and that's the danger is that we can't just break things and get rid of them because they look a certain way or act a certain way. And we need to inspect the fruit. In the same way, just because they look a certain way, you know, it doesn't mean that we should accept them. Or just because they look okay, it doesn't mean that we should accept it as well. You know, knowledge again, knowledge again, that knowledge puffs up, but what? Love edifies, love edifies. And, and it's the application of knowledge that's important. You know, knowledge applied correctly is wisdom. You know, you can, you can know the right thing to do, but you do it in the wrong way. And that's not very wise at all. You know, you can know the, <laughs> I know investing my money is smart. So let me go invest my money in the lottery, you know, or let me go invest my money in uh, Enron, you know, you do it in the right way, the right thing in the wrong way. It's not going to work out. You know, if someone sees you eating in an idol's temple and they don't have the right knowledge or a closest walk with God, they may do it. You know, I tell you, I watch certain RA movies and sadly, maybe that I remember being in the youth group, kids might hear that and they might go out and watch something totally crazy. And well, Pastor Tim watches that, so it must be okay. You know, people farther from us begin to take these things out on a limb. Um, you know, Pastor Jim has a drink, so I can have a fifth of vodka. You know, like people will do that. They'll begin to use our liberty as, a, again, like I said, a, an open door for their vice. You know, our examples as believers, if, if they're doing it, so can I. And that's why we need to be careful because it's not just for pastors. Because pastor is a, is a description of a calling, but we're all believers. You know, this morning, I'd much, I love you guys. I love being able to share the word with you. But like I said to my daughter this morning, I'd much, my favorite thing to do is read the Bible with her. If that's all I do the rest of my life, then, then that's the most pastoring I ever want to do for her to get to know the Bible. Because being a Christian is the important thing. And if, if this is written in the Bible, it doesn't say the Holy Bible for pastors only. It says the Holy Bible is for everybody. So if God says that something is right and wrong, you know, it's right and wrong for everybody. And we won't, we won't get into that for time. But, you know, conscience is important. But again, it's conscience with knowledge. You know, it's conscience and knowledge. It's, it's knowing the right thing and it bothers your soul. You know, don't do that. If, if it's bothering you and it's pricking your conscience, listen to that and obey that. And don't do that. Even if your friend down the street wants to go do it and it's okay for them. If your conscience is telling you not to do it, don't do it. Maybe pray about it after that, but don't like go do it and then pray about it. Just, just bow out of it. I think of it as God's dashboard uh, warning light. You know, the, the light oil light comes on in your car. That's not the change oil light. That's the low oil light. Uh, Ashley had this car as we as we get the clothes out here. Um, the oil light would go on and off all the time, all the time, and where you couldn't even trust it anymore. And the ABS light, and they checked the computer, and it was fine. But then one day, the, the, the Chrysler Sebring died because there was no oil in it. Because I didn't check it, and she didn't check it because the light always went on. And so we ended up killing the motor, um, which is a, a sad day and a frustrating day. But that's the same thing. You know, when, when our conscience light is going on and off and on and off and we don't listen to it, eventually it becomes untrustworthy to where our conscience goes off for the wrong things. Milk in the, in the, in the grocery store. Our conscience, their conscience is going off like crazy. Don't drink milk. Don't drink milk. It's murder. But their conscience has is, is been messed up because it's, it's going off for the wrong things now. So we need to be careful and listen to it, you know. He says here that, you know, that uh, we sin against God, against Christ in verse 12. That when we wound others physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, we're sinning against God directly. When we cause someone else to stumble, we've tripped up God. You know, children have sensitive consciences. 
and I try and nurture that. When Mia cries, when, when we have to discipline her, when, you know, even when I just have to take something away, you know, I've even like put her in timeout or anything yet, she's crying or bawling. I'll, I'll try and get her to calm down and talk with her, but I try and nurture that sensitive conscience because I don't want that conscience to be hardened up to things. I'd rather her cry every time she gets in trouble and bawl every time she gets in trouble and sit over there and, you know, I want her to be sensitive to those things. You know, God cares about the young and, and more than that, he cares about young believers in a sense where, man, if, if we're so mature, we're so free, but there's a new believer that we're hurting or we're tripping up, that's, that's probably not a good thing. So maybe it's better that, that we don't do certain things. Um, and this last verse as we close out here is one of the hardest verses in the Bible for me. Therefore, verse 13, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again uh, eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. <laughs> that's hard. I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's a vegetarian or a vegan out there, it makes them stumble. Um, you know, there's been times when I've gone out to dinner and ordered a burger and there's someone there who's vegetarian or vegan. I go, oh, maybe I should have just gotten the salad. But I haven't been strong enough yet to get the salad. I haven't seen them cry when the burger comes to the table. But you know what I mean? You know, if you're reaching out to someone, maybe that's something we can consider. Um, you know, there's a couple of verses in Romans for time. Look up later. Look up Romans chapter 14 later and check that out. Probably the whole verse. The whole chapter, rather. But, you know, people make up all sorts of excuses this, this day and age to not live righteously, to not live holy. They use their freedom as an excuse for vice, and that's not the way we're to be. You know, Gentiles, to touch back on Acts as we close, they've come to faith. The apostles and leadership agreed that they come to faith. They said that they need to obey these certain laws, that they would not um, uh, shipwreck their faith, so to speak, but they also wouldn't make the Jewish people uh, stumble. Um, but they wanted to nourish it, and they wanted to nourish the Jewish population as well, that one wouldn't really be favored over the other. And I think that that could be a danger as well, that you know, you're a believer and you're trying to do the best you can, and then these other people come in and, and they're favored for some reason. That can be kind of uh, uh, ungodly. But we see that um, these things, these laws were a shadow. They were uh, something that was fulfilled by God. But still, we might consider them. We might consider uh, to live righteously and follow laws this day that being legalist in a sense with yourself isn't wrong you know i try i find when i'm not legalist with myself i get myself into all sorts of trouble but when i'm a legalist with myself i I keep myself in trouble that the law in a sense for myself is good but when i and the flip side of that if i try and put the law on someone else i end up hurting them and i'm hurting myself and i'm hurting my relationship with the lord but if i'm gracious with someone else um i find it to be better it's like there's this inverse to it you know a lot of people we like to be gracious with ourselves and legalists with others, but we really need to kind of flip the tables on those things. Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and God, that it's true. And God, we ask that you'd help us, God, uh, to not stumble other people, that God, the things that uh, God are wrong and are wrong, we should not do. So, or would you make our conscience uh, sensitive, as you say, that we wouldn't sear our conscience, that Holy Spirit, you use our conscience. You've given it to us as like a defense for our spirit in our lives. And God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to that, but help us to not make other people stumble, that we would uh, earnestly ask you if the things that we're doing in our lives should be changed or different. And God, if I, if I've laid a trip on anyone today, God, I ask that you would forgive me for that and wipe that away and, uh, and help them to walk with you. But God, I pray that we all would walk with you and that you would help us, Lord, to, to seek you and to follow you. And we look forward to when you come back, we don't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore and everything is completely fine. And we love you, God. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.